Hello, welcome to the Lewisburg United Methodist Church podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For sermon notes and videos related to this message, please visit lwbumc.com. Please stand for the reading of the scripture. Luke 13, 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it be alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the people of God. Some of you may or may not know that Reva and I have been out of town a couple of days because of a family, a loss in Reva's family in North Carolina. Michael um, was uh, a member of our uh, family, extended family there in Carolina, and he was really a great fellow, but uh, at age 67, it was much too early, but he battled pancreatic cancer. And um, it was an interesting service because it was at 7 p.m. at the graveside, and I don't know that I've ever had a 7 p.m. graveside service before, but it was, it was, it was very nice. Michael had requested all the things related to his service. Even the person who would come and preach was the youth pastor, Bev. And uh, he told this story uh, that when he was youth pastor at the church, uh, Michael and uh, his wife, they, their children were in the youth group. And uh, he said, I never thought that Michael liked me. He always had this grim look on his face. And one day he called the church and he said, want you to stop by the house. And he thought, oh, Lord, what have I done? What have I said to his children? What have I done that he is, he's just going to eat me alive when I go by the house? He said, I was so nervous all day long. And I went by after work and went in. And he said, I won't give you a car. He said, what? He said, our daughter's not going to ever drive this car. She doesn't like it. I'm just going to give it to you. You need a good car. And <laughs> He said, it's, this was during the time that Jim and, and Tammy Faye Baker were going through all this turmoil. He says, I can't take that car. You know what will happen to me. He said, I'll get in all kinds of trouble for taking gifts like that. He said, he's, his, he went home and told his wife that, it, that, that this parishioner was going to give him a car. And he said, offer him some money. <laughs> he said, I offered him some money. But he said, I never forgot the fact that this man that I didn't think liked me at all gave me a car. A beautiful car, a good car. And he said, just a few months ago, 
he had a car and he knew someone who needed it. And so in honor of Michael, he gave them a car. Life goes round and round, friends. Think of the good that people have done in your lifetime for you and give back. Pass it on. Because if we don't learn to do that, life won't have much meaning. It'll all be spent upon ourselves. Now, I didn't know that our district superintendent was going to be in worship today, Melissa, but I, I, I want you to know that, uh, that today's sermon is basically to help us understand the beauty of how in uh, Methodism, over the course of our lives, we have all kinds of different preachers who come to serve our churches. Some are very mild-mannered and quiet, and some are loud and boisterous, and some preach uh, uh, love and grace and hope and kindness, and some preach hellfire and damnation. And guess what? It's all good. We need it all. When I was growing up, and especially in high school, middle school, elementary school as well, I loved to play basketball. I... uh, it was the sport at, at Talkett High School that we focused on because we didn't have enough people to have a football team. That's why to this day I still am not a great football uh, fanatic, but I love basketball and I love March Madness. But um, when I was in the 11th grade, we had a good team. We had a winning season, and I was hopeful that we would even make the state playoffs in our senior year because we weren't losing any uh, significant players. However, at the beginning of my senior year of high school, a teacher who had been the leader of our Bible club uh, got transferred to another school, and so we would no longer have a Bible study during lunchtime. And uh, I felt in my heart that I should maybe find a way to get that Bible club, which was just a 15-minute uh, uh, devotion during lunch, um, get that started back, but I just never did. But, and then I had this thought... Whether it was right or wrong, I can't tell you. In my heart, I felt that if I didn't do something about getting the Bible club started back, that I was going to have a terrible basketball season. I convinced myself uh, to the effort that, uh, well, if you want to ask me what kind of basketball season I had in my senior year, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It was terrible, it was awful. My classmates told me that I was a terrible basketball player. My coach couldn't understand why I had played so good the year before and so bad this year. But I had convinced myself, now listen to this, that it was God's way of punishing me over not doing something about Bible club. Let me illustrate this another way. This week I read about an 11-year-old boy who went for an eye exam and upon discovering that he would need to begin to wear glasses, the young man was very disturbed. The mother and the father and his sister were already wearing glasses and so the family could not understand why this little guy was so upset that he was going to have to start wearing glasses. But it wasn't until the young man went back to the doctor to get his glasses that they discovered the reason he was so upset. The young man asked the doctor if he was going to go blind. He said, go blind? What do you mean? He says, well, a few days before I came for this eye exam, some buddies and I found some pornographic magazines. He said, and we looked at them, 
And I believe God's punishing me by making me blind because I looked at those pictures. 11 years old. And should I go on to tell you about parents who believe that their inability to conceive children is a result of God's punishment for some sin in their lives? It can be a very dangerous thing to define your life by the sins that you think you have committed and how God might be punishing you in relationship to that. But in today's gospel lesson that Abby read, we hear some people who ask Jesus about the tragic death of some Galileans. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and so he asks them, do you think that these people, these Galileans, and these ones that the Tower of Siloam fell on, do you think that this happened to them because they were worse sinners than anyone else? Verse 3 says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish in the same way they did. Now, Jesus, what are you meaning there? It doesn't make any sense. Then Jesus asked them if they think that the 18 people that the tower fell on was an accident and that happened because they were greater sinners than others and that they were working for money that the Roman government would, had stolen from the temple and that they would get paid, and that God was punishing these people in that horrific uh, construction accident. Verse 5, again, Jesus says, No, people do not die as a result of God punishing them for some sinful act. But again, Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will perish the same as they did. What on earth does Jesus mean by these words? The crowd's trying to make a connection between human suffering and sin, but Jesus knows that death is inevitable. Every one of us is going to die. Is it possible that Jesus is saying that the greatest tragedy that you and I can have in our lives is to live without any repentance at all? To ask the question if some people are worse sinners than others is to miss the point, is to deflect our attention away from the primary issue. Namely, it is the obligation of every person to live in repentance and trust before God. God expects something of us. And that's repentance, which brings us to the parable of the barren fig tree. Three years, he says, he's waited for this fig tree to bear fruit. It's not done so, so cut it down and get rid of us. But one more chance, the gardener says, just give it one more chance. The parable clearly teaches us that God requires and wants us to bear fruit, that barrenness is not acceptable. But in this context, is it possible that the fruit that God's looking for is repentance? Because there can be no real change in any life apart from repentance. But God is patient. If it, and if this was not true, very few people would ever come to repentance. So I ask you this question. Who is God in this parable? Is God the owner of the fig tree? Yes. Is God the gardener, the caretaker of the fig tree? Yes. God is both. Thus, it is really like saying, God is against God. God expects repentance, but God is also gracious and patient. 
My secretary, uh, when I was serving in Huntington for 16 years, was Betty Crouch. Betty Crouch was uh, a nationally recognized figure with the American Baptist Association, and she and I would talk uh, Methodist and Baptist politics all the time. And um, Betty said, you know, you Methodists are gracious people. You forgive, and you say, but us Baptists, we're a little harder. You know, we, we, we demand repentance and so forth. So she said, if we could take a little bit of you Methodists and a little bit of us Baptists and put it together, we'd come up with a pretty good faith. And I thought about that many times. Why is it that we don't know how to balance these two things? And what I mean by these two things is the idea that God expects us to bear fruit. God expects us to do the right thing. God expects us to live a life of compassion and love and kindness for other human beings. God expects us to do the right thing. But do we do it every day? No, we don't. And yet God is patient and kind and waiting. And it's, it's kind of like being a parent. You know, sometimes parents can be too hard on their children. And that doesn't work. And then sometimes parents can be too lenient with their children. Right? Is there any parent here who can't say that they've struggled a little bit with those two issues? How do you find the balance? Well, you just keep working at it. You have a little of both. And I remember those teachers in school that were really hard and harsh, and I learned a lot from them. And those teachers that just kind of, all you had to do was show up and you'd pass. And I learned some things from them, that life is about both ends of the spectrum, and how do I find the balance in the middle? I remember one of my favorite illustrations I heard from Ron McCauley many, many years ago. He talked about going into here... Uh, a symphony with the orchestra one night. And he said, you know, if you've ever gone to any kind of event like that, uh, down here at Carnegie or somewhere, for the first 30 minutes before the concert starts, if you get there, they're in there tuning up their instruments. You know, and it just sounds horrific. He said, and then the conductor steps to the podium. And you can't believe what happens. Ron went on to say that that's what happens when God comes into our lives and seeks to bring direction to the confusion. If we just had trumpets and only trumpets, if we just had violins and only violins, it takes everybody. There was a three-year period at the little church in Talkett that every year we had a new preacher. <laughs> and I remember, uh, and I'm telling tales I shouldn't tell now, but I remember one Sunday that the preacher that we had for that one year said, Bev, said, they shouldn't hold baby showers in the, in the church basement. That's what he believed. He said, nope, don't, he said, that's not an act of worship. The church is a place for worship, only worship. And he said, I just don't think they should hold baby showers in the church basement. And I thought, okay, I was 16, 17 years old at the time. And I thought, I'm not sure about that. But there was one person in the church that was so upset about that that he just stood up right in the middle of worship service and blessed the preacher out and walked out. 
I'm, I'm trying to illustrate to you how difficult a job our district superintendent has sometimes. <laughs> Amen? Amen. And, and then the next year, we got this pastor who got up and said, on his first Sunday, I'm not really a preacher. I consider myself to be more of a teacher. And he was really good. And then the next year, he didn't last for a year. And then the next year, we had another preacher. And here's what I want you to know. At the age of 16, 17, and 18, I learned something from every one of them. My friends, God is not really against God, but God wants us all to know that in this vast array of faith, in this journey that we're on, Every experience we have, both positive and negative, can teach us and grow us something in our relationship with each other and God. And to every single person, I have this prayer. I don't know if I've told you about my remote control prayer. You surf channels on your TV sometimes? You ever come across a TV preacher? And you go, hmm, you know, I don't know about that. And, uh, and you're going to just click right on. Well, offer this prayer next time. If you come across a TV preacher and you're just not sure what, what they're saying and all, my prayer goes like this. Dear God, this, this preaching isn't helping me much today, but I hope and pray it's helping someone. Click. <laughs> Everything is shaping our faith. God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to do what is positive and good and helpful in this world. And on those days that we fall miserably short, God is saying, all right, we'll fertilize you and give you another chance. This is good news, my friends. Don't beat yourself up, but yet at some, some time... Do know that there's a need to kneel at an altar of prayer and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We are sinners. And we have a gracious, loving God. And they're not intended to be opposed to each other to kind of harm us or make us frustrated in our faith journey or think we've done some sin and that's why this is happening to us. It's that way because life is that way. If I didn't turn in my homework, then I shouldn't get a passing grade. <laughs> Let me close with one last story. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know, Troy, if I ever told you this or not, but I was pleasantly surprised when I came here and found that uh, the professor who was uh, very involved early on in the writing of the history of Lewisburg United Methodist Church, was Dr. Otis Rice. He was my professor in, in uh, undergraduate school at West Virginia Tech, and I loved him dearly. And I took a course to Dr. Rice during the summer one year. It was on writing local histories. And I said... Uh, and so I would go in every week, and we'd talk about our, what our assignments were, and we'd, we'd do those assignments. And uh, I, Dr. Rice was just a very kind and gracious man, and I, I appreciated his, his knowledge. So one Saturday, 
At the end of the summer, I'm home, and the phone rings, and I pick it up. Now, again, when you're in your early 20s, and you pick up the telephone, and you hear one of your professors on the other end of the line, it rattles you a little bit, <laughs> okay? And the phone said, Tim? I said, yes, this is Dr. Uh, Rice. I said, yes, Dr. Rice, is everything okay? Uh, yes, Tim, I'm just sitting here in my office putting together the grades for the summer courses. And I said, oh, okay. And said, Tim, I was going over your work here, and one of the assignments was to write a local history. I said, yes, sir, and I did. And she said, he said, yeah, and it's, it's very good. But, but the pictures that you took, and, and I don't have any of the pictures I said, well, Dr. Rice, I knew we were to take the pictures, and I did take them, but I thought it was just the experience. I didn't know that you actually wanted the actual photographs. Oh, yes, Tim, I need those photographs. He says, and I need them today. I said, Dr. Rice, I know I can't do that. I'm sorry. I know I can't do that. Because the, the pictures are right here in the camera, and I have to take them down and get them uh, developed. He said, well, Tim... You go and get them developed, and you bring them in to me, and I'm going to go ahead and turn your grade in today. I said, oh, Dr. Rice, I, how are you going to do that? He says, I, I'm going to trust you. And I said, okay. He says, do you want to know what your grade's going to be? I said, I was afraid. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to go ahead and give you an A. I just want you to know that in that moment, there was this un uncanny feeling of like, I don't deserve this. I, I clearly messed up. But someone was offering me grace. Dr. Rice called to make sure that I had done my assignment, that I had done what I should have done. And then when I didn't, he said, I'm going to give you a little grace. My life has been a joy and a blessing to be a pastor in the Methodist church. And I want to tell you that there have been times in our journey that you have to say the hard, difficult thing to your children, to your parishioners, to your friends. It's not easy to say the hard and difficult thing sometimes. But remember this, always surrounded with grace. If you want to tell somebody that they've done something wrong and you can't wait to tell them, <laughs> there ain't no grace in that. Let us try to represent God's love and grace in this world the way God represents it to us. If you need to repent today, I'm telling you, repent. Repent. If you need to know God loves you today, then hear this. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Good morning. When Lara first asked me to get up and share my story with you today, um, I had a little trouble thinking of anything to say. My family would say that's impossible, but I was a little nervous, and she said, you don't have to, and um, I realized that part of my new duties in this position will be convincing people that they want to sing in public, and so getting up to talk to you for a minute didn't seem quite as scary. Psalm 100 tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. My favorite version of Psalm 100 is the King James because it says joyful noise. Ironic that there's a program in this church hosted here with that very name. Joyful noise, it doesn't say make a perfect musical offering. I've spent years playing the piano and the trumpet, even trying to learn the ukulele, and sometimes it just sounded like noise. 
Occasionally, my mom even suggested that I might try practicing my trumpet on our back deck. She was right. My neighbors loved it. It was such a great echo. Uh, but music is a language that we all can understand. Songs make us feel excited and happy or nostalgic and sad. Singing can help us relieve stress. And why is it so important that we sing together in worship? Because it helps us feel closer to each other and especially our Creator. The word hymn means a song of praise, and music has a way of touching the deepest parts of our soul. It can help us connect with people from other cultures or with differences. And singing together as a church family can unite us in confessions of faith. I personally believe that deep down, we all really like to sing, even if it's only in the shower or in our car. Our voices are our own personal instrument that we can take everywhere we go. Churches all around the world, many who aren't as fortunate as this church to have musicians to play with them, still unite their voices in song every time they gather, singing praises and prayers and helping to unite a body of faith. Not everyone is meant to sing in the choir or to offer a solo in the church, and the really cool thing is that not all of us have the gifts needed to work with children or to handle financial affairs or be an usher, keep worship running smoothly, and there are some of us, me, that aren't really meant to prepare food for a church dinner. But the truth is, it takes a whole variety of gifts and talents and personalities and a willingness to serve others to make a worship body come together, being ready to say, here I am, use me. Please reach out to me if you've ever wanted to join a choir or sing in church. Don't worry if you've never learned to read music. That's something that, I mean, I've met a lot of you through having your children in kinder music and... Um, that's something that I can definitely help you with. Hopefully, we're going to grow in um, love and musical patience together. And this is a new challenge for me, and I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from the Lewisburg United Methodist Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, and podcasts, as well as who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website, lwbumc.com.